I think for some reason people assume that like fall is when racing kind of dies down and that all you have to wait for is cross. But like there was a huge amount of like professional road racing this week, uh, this weekend that was really good to watch. You had um, Lombardia, Pogacar won, and then you had um, uh, Filippo Ganna broke the hour record, which is like really cool. Like, I think I think if you're a cycling fan, that's one you should know. Um, essentially, there's a, a world record for the farthest distance ridden on a bicycle, unassisted, obviously, and without like a car you're drafting behind or anything like that. Um, people have been attempting it for decades. In the 90s, a whole bunch of people just completely blew it up by using crazy positions in tech that the UCI banned. And this last weekend, Filippo Ghana, who's kind of the best time trialist of the past five years or so, um, blew away the 90s mark with the current regulation. So that was huge. What power did he average for that? I've looked. We don't have a power file yet. I've heard that our record power is actually relatively low. Um, it's done on an, like an indoor velodrome. So aerodynamics are the most important consideration. So they will go into ridiculous positions that will uh, like lower their power um, just because uh, the, the arrow is, is more important. But I, I have heard that there's a huge spread too. Like when Bradley Wiggins did it, it was this pretty crazy power number, like 450 something for an hour. Um, I've heard other people who have done really, really good attempts have averaged like you know, in the 300s, which a plenty of amateur cyclists can do, but they're doing that in a ridiculous arrow position with, you know, an emphasis like being on, on the arrow side of things. Um, but it's kind of crazy. This this effort apparently cost just shy of $100,000 between the custom 3D printed bike and the special skin suit that was a one-off and the helmet and everything. Um, so yeah, like I'd go and watch it. It's, it's kind of crazy. I think that he averaged 57 kilometers an hour, which is, you know, in like the mid 30 miles an hour on a bike unassisted for an hour, which is absolutely crazy. Um, but I was left wanting by Gravel Worlds, which was kind of the most publicized race from this weekend. Did you, have you watched any of the Gravel Worlds yet? Do you know, I honestly didn't even know it was going on until you were complaining about it this morning. So I, I should clarify, like there's always been like an unofficial Gravel world, and then there's Unbound Gravel. And there are a few things that have kind of claimed to be like, you know, the pinnacle of gravel, but the whole gravel movement was sort of inspired by people who hated like sanctioned racing and all the rules and stuff. Um, but the UCI kind of said, I don't care. We're going to do this anyway. And, and to have like a, a legit world champs event in Italy this year, I won't spoil the winners if you want to go back and watch, but like people rocked up on road bikes with like 30 C tires. And it was so it was a pretty I mean, like the women's was a little more entertaining, but both of the races were pretty boring. They like so I'm races. guessing like nobody had wool socks on and didn't spend like 20 minutes at the the support station. No, and, I mean, it was I mean, the top 10 were all world tour. Road how many tours. miles was it? Did you say about 200 K? Okay. So significantly shorter than most of like the big, you know, like like um, unbound gravels quite a how many miles is 200 K? Hang on, let me check. I should know this. You should. Um, uh, so 125 miles and Unbound Gravel's 200, right? Yeah. Like just about. And it was like a non-technical course. Like it was basic and it was like like 50% paved too. It really did look like a road race and they'd hop onto like an unpaved bike path. Um, and there were a couple sections that you'll see people using for publicity photos of like the one time there was a touch of like insanely mild single track, but... Yeah, Vanderpool got third, and he rocked up in a you know on a Canyon Ultimate, which is like their climbing bike. You know, a couple of people rode rode gravel bikes, but I think they lost out because this was a road bike race with just a smattering of dirt. I don't think it was a real gravel race. I don't know. That's my hot take. I think I think if you ask me, like, oh, how do you know who's the best gravel racer in the world? I'm not going to say, oh, whoever won Gravel Worlds. I'm going to say whoever won Unbound Gravel. That's to me. Um, yeah, to, what we saw was like a weird watered down, you know, kind of gravel race, road race hybrid, but I don't know. Yeah. I guess this is probably something we should save for like the main body of the show. We have like other stuff to talk about, but I'll, I'll leave that all for you now. We want to thank our sponsor, the Norden Group of Salt Lake City. Why do portfolios of large institutions, endowments, and pensions look so different than the portfolios of high net worth individuals and families? 
The philosophy at the Norden Group is that you should invest your portfolio like an institution. This approach leads to complete transparency. Some key questions to ask yourself, what do I really own? How much am I paying in fees? What costs am I paying that are not disclosed? Would I be better off in a low cost index fund? At the Norden Group, we conduct what is called a portfolio audit, which can reveal these and other important details. Call us and set up your appointment. Um, I do want to say, of course, thank you to the Norton Group. If you're in a position where you have seven or eight figures worth of investable income that you're of wealth that you need people to to take care of and to um, uh, to manage, Norton Group of Salt Lake City are, are eminent professionals. We highly recommend them in every single way. Investment services are offered through Townsquare Capital LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission, nor does it indicate that the advisor has attained a particular level of skill or ability. Townsquare is not affiliated with any other named entity. I'm, I'm kind of surprised we haven't done this yet because this is something that happens or should happen before every single race. And it's something that I think most people probably do wrong. It's something that I, I'm actually kind of interested for the first time ever in what you have to say um, because I think I warm up poorly for races. Um, what was your like impetus for not only talking about this, but for saving it for like the week before the final race of the year? Uh, bad planning. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't because like everybody knows instinctively, even people who are only like basically familiar with sports generally, like people know you like warm up for stuff, right? Um, so the topic today is warming up, but can I first kind of just go down a totally different rabbit hole before we get into our main topic? Would that be okay? Permission granted, sailor. Thank Send you it. so much. Because so last night I was driving home from Vernal. And I just, you know, it was like Amy had her earbuds in and I was just driving through the dark and I just had all these thoughts going through my head and I'm just like wishing I could have been recording the podcast while I was driving home last night because I just had so many thoughts through my head. But I just wanted to kind of share a few things that I thought might be good to kind of keep in mind because like States is coming up and... um. You know, the, the first thing I want to say, and I actually just thought of this right now, is, you know, it's just so awesome outside, and, and fall is just the most fun time to ride. And let me just say, don't let your training get in the way of enjoying how beautiful and fun things are right now. You know, it's it's okay to just go out and enjoy yourself on the bike. In fact, I encourage it. So do some rides that you're just enjoying the beautiful, cooler weather and, and the leaves and... Um, you know, this, this sport is meant to be enjoyed. Yeah. I, I even think like, I've been trying not to go out on my road bike for now. Like, like you live in a really cool place with really cool fall colors. Like, um, and you know what, if, if you get to the point in the season, especially this week, we've got another week until States, I think for most people listening, I assume two weeks two or another two weeks till States, like go out and have a fun ride this week, even if, and, and maybe go a little harder than you probably should, or a little easier than you probably should. Or like, don't be afraid to kind of deviate a little bit to have one or two really magical rides. Cause I think unfortunately by the time States has come and gone in a lot of places, you'll kind of missed peak fall. And I think you should enjoy peak fall. Um, you know, fall in Utah is, is shorter than I wish it was. So yeah. 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 Don't, don't miss out. So that's the first thing I, I wanted to talk about. So another thing too, is we've, um, we had, we we had a few riders that were sick at this last race and, um, you know, being sick at a race just isn't fun. You're just going to suffer a lot more. Your heart rate compared to your power is going to be a lot higher than it normally is. Your perceived exertion is going to be higher. Racing when you're sick is not fun and it is never helpful. Um, training when you're sick. And, and I'm going to do, you know, I don't want to go too far into this because I want to milk a whole podcast out of it. But but training when you're sick, your, your body really can't adapt well to to exercise if it's also fighting a bug at the same time um so in a way it's just kind of kind of lost time during your season you know so so what i'm trying to say is just you know just be super super careful these last two weeks before state you know wash your hands get extra sleep eat lots of fruits and veggies nuts and berries um just you know i I mean during COVID time where, where everyone was just so careful and we were wearing masks. It's like, I never got sick, you know, but it's not like practical we, to do that all the time, but I hope, I hope you kind of came out of COVID being like, wow, being sick sucks in their ways that 
you can prevent it. Like go out of your way to not get sick. Well, like you think about it, because like doctors who work, doctors and nurses who work around sick people all day long, they really don't get sick that often because they, these precautions actually do work, you know, washing your hands and wearing masks and stuff actually do help prevent sicknesses. So just, just try to not get sick. And if you do, you know, that's not the end of the world. Um, yeah, just make, make whatever efforts you can do whatever basic things, you know, are good to, you know, ideally prevent illness. And then if you do get illnesses, you know, there are things that you can do that make it so that it will be milder and that, you know, you're not going to spend a whole month out with the flu or with COVID or cause you, when you got COVID that really set you back training wise, didn't it? Like oh, that yeah. was, because yeah. you were able to see your numbers before and after, like that was not a, a marginal thing that happened to your fitness, was it? Yeah, it was. It was crazy to see where my where my power profile went after COVID than before. But I think COVID was a little more serious back then. That it's kind of a little more watered down now, maybe. But still, you do. We not. are not scientists. <laughs> do not listen I, to us. <laughs> I got it. I had COVID back when it was cool, but no. But yeah, it's you. You definitely want to avoid COVID at all costs right now. That's there's that's just not going to help you at all. So, and especially as we're going into the winter, you know, things that I've read kind of indicate that like, that's something that we've, you know, have maybe been lax on for a few months, but as it gets cold and the flu too, I just had a cold. It sucked. I took like a week off the bike during like peak fall riding season. Yeah. You know, you guys go to school and that's basically a Petri dish. So you just have to be extra careful and wash your hands a ton. Don't touch your face. You know, if, if your buddy's sick, don't, don't go to Wendy's at lunch with him in his car. Like, you know, be smart. Don't get yeah. sick. It sucks. So, but yeah, we'll, we'll do, we'll talk about that more later. Are we done with our soapbox? Yeah. <laughs> get the pun there. Soapbox. Okay. Washing your hands. Okay. okay I get it. Right. That was really funny. Carry on. What is a soapbox anyway? It's a box where you store soap. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go to Walmart and ask for a soapbox. And just... You don't ask for things at Walmart. It's not a counter. You walk up, you're like, I'd like a soapbox, please. No, it's not like people there would help you anyway. Some but... poor clinically depressed person making $4 an hour is like, oh yeah, the soapbox, that's on aisle G23. Okay. So, so uh, another thing I just thought would be really good just to talk quickly about, and again, we're going to milk a whole episode, maybe two out of this, but... I thought this would be good to just talk about a little bit before before states comes up, um, but I want you guys to let's just do a little game here. I want you to picture this in your head, okay? Just picture it with me, okay? So you're at a race and you've got this. There's this person that you really, really want to be competitive against. You want to beat this person, you know, and and so your goal is to hold this person's wheel, okay? And on the first lap. You're just right there. You're holding this person's wheel. You're feeling pretty good. You're handling it well. And and things are going good. And then, you know, you get into the second lap and all of a sudden this 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 rider starts to create a little bit of a gap and you put some effort in and close the gap. And then they create another gap and then you have a little more a little harder time closing that gap, right? Does it sound familiar at all? way too familiar. I wish it didn't sound as familiar as it did. Okay. So, but eventually what happens is this rider that you've been, you've been trying to hold this wheel starts to create a big enough gap that you get discouraged, right? When you get discouraged, you don't feel as good. And all of a sudden it's like the race starts to become a little more painful. You start questioning your fitness. You start questioning whether you've done the right training whether you have the right nutrition, but whether you're sick, whether you're feeling good, you know, you just have a full blown existential crisis as soon as the gap goes okay, well, from two seconds to 10 seconds. Yeah. So all of a sudden just things, you're just not feeling as, as well. Right. So, and then this, it's a longer race and we'll just say this rider kind of ends up riding to the point where they get out of sight. And once they're out of sight, you, you know, discouragement really sets in. You start just not feeling as good. You try to, you try to do some mental exercises saying, okay, this is okay. I'm just going to do my best. I'm just going to keep going, keep, keep trying, but it's just not the same. Right. And so say you keep riding along and you come around a corner and about 30 feet off in the distance, like not too far off in the distance, all of a sudden, you see this rider again. They're in sight. What happens then? 
you get that burst of adrenaline. You want to go catch the wheel. All of a sudden you get an extra gear. You all of a sudden start feeling better. All of a sudden your fitness is fine and you start catching that person as soon, you know, as soon as they're in sight. And I, I don't know if I think everyone's like had that experience before on like a group ride or a race or something. So why is it all of a sudden that when that person is in sight, you can all of a sudden perform better? That is a fascinating. Is there like an answer you're looking for to guide you as like a segue or can I give my honest answer? Give, give your honest answer. <clears throat> um, again, this show is not planned. Um, I have, I think when you, when you pose that question, people always assume that like, oh, just in your head, something clicks and you get better. I wonder if there's like an actual physiological thing happening where like your brain releases adrenaline and all of a sudden you feel better. Like it can't just be like your attitude gets better and then you get faster. Like there's gotta be something else going on there, right? Maybe. I mean, cause it's not like all of a sudden you just get, you magically get more fit or you magically just have access to more glycogen or something really this sport there's just a huge huge mental component to it and our mind a lot of times in this sport is not very helpful it really gets in our way and and so if you guys haven't read the book how bad do you want it by matt fitzgerald i would highly encourage that you you try to like either get a copy or or listen to a listen to it on tape as you're driving around before state champions go go listen to it on tape guys <laughs> plug I, it in, plug it into your walkman while you're thinking about <laughs> the soviets <laughs> on tape what you're aging so poorly dan you are aging like milk um, on, the, on what do you call it on your phone you can on those the, the audio angled cellular telephone you're not even that old in the grand scheme of things i don't know if you can even buy it on tape i don't should we try to buy a book on tape we'll try to buy a book on tape and get back to you guys. okay well so it's seriously they're like I am so skeptical of like inspirational self-help, self-help books. Like I would usually steer people away from them. This book is good and it's, it's, it's pretty solid. It's not like a nebulous, like, you know, you got to work hard and grind and get the gains or whatever. Like, I think it's, it's a fascinating psychological sort of exploration. So yeah, go buy it on tape. Really our, our brains for better or for worse. And I think there's, there's evolutionary reasons for this, but our brains really want to prevent us from squeezing all the toothpaste out of the toothpaste container. <laughs> he said all the toothpaste out of the toothpaste. In that moment, like, where are we going? Where are no, you trying like, to land? Like, yeah, like... What what container does your toothpaste come in? Is it like a... Tube. Do you have like a caulk gun or something? Or like like a ramekin? He's scraping it out? <laughs> I mean, okay, so our minds really want to prevent us from squeezing all the toothpaste out of the toothpaste tube. I know it's a toothpaste tube. It's just a tube. You're not <laughs> squeezing all of the toothpaste out of the, the sour cream tube, you know. I don't know what you're Maybe about. we should plan this show and <laughs> I should get another host. I don't like... Someday, so someday when I need to build anyhow, my empire, I'm going to drop you off and, know, and do it on my own, Dan. I know. Carry on. But anyhow, our mind really is preventing us from doing all that we're capable of. And, and I think this affects some people more than others, but if this is something that we can, it's, it's all, it's like a skill that you can become better at if it's something that you're suffering with. And it's amazing that if you can unlock that part of your mind, you can, you can really squeeze all your fitness out. You can really take advantage of all the hard work that you've done. There's so many writers I know that just have such awesome fitness, but in certain circumstances, the mind gets in the way and they just end up choking and, and really preventing them from doing what they're truly capable of. This is so, this is interesting that you'd bring this up. I have no idea what the, this has to do with warm-ups, but I'm sure there's It really a doesn't there. have anything to do Did with Did I just give like a false... Are we not actually talking about warm-ups? We are talking about warm-ups. Okay, we'll okay, start talking... Hey, this has a little bit to do with warm-ups, and I'll, okay. I'll tie it in because... Okay, I'm just going to start talking about warm-ups hey, now. Usually let me finish my thing. Okay, go let for it. Let me finish my thing really quick. Okay. So I, I, I've, I've been on a journey with my, my now fiancé, former girlfriend, for five years of teaching her how to like seriously ride mountain bikes, getting good at riding mountain bikes. And we've kind of been working up to find some big rides she could do. 
um, to really push your limits. And we decided to do like the dog like desolation up onto the crest loop yesterday, which is a bigger ride than she usually does. And if you've done it, you know that like there's a lot of climbing and especially that section of Mill D between the Dog Lake connector and Desolation Lake just sucks. It's not fun. It's steep. It's discouraging. And she has the fitness to do it, but we kind of got to a point yesterday where she was like, I'm not, I'm not feeling great. This is, I'm feeling really discouraged. She said, I'm feeling really discouraged. And I, I kind of thought like, I felt like that so many times. And I remembered what would like the best thing somebody ever told me is like, when you're really hurting and you feel discouraged, it's kind of helpful to remember that other people are hurting too. And that it's like, oh yeah, you, of course you're hurting. Yeah. Like I'm, this is hard for me too. You know? And so I told her, I'm like, that's normal. This climb sucks. Oh, yeah. Like, this is hard. This isn't easy for me. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm fitter than you. I'm more experienced than you, but like, I'm not having a good time on this part either. You know, it's not just you. You're not the only one that feels crappy in the moment. But sometimes right? you do feel like you're the only one out there suffering. Everyone else is just feeling great and they're just doing fine. And you, you just happen to be the only one there that's having a bad day or hurting. And, and, and when you say that out loud, that sounds ridiculous, right? But when, and when you're in the moment in your head, and especially when you're getting dropped, like if, and everybody's been dropped before, right? When you're getting dropped, the other people dropping you aren't hurting. It's just you. It's just for some reason, mountain biking is, is easy and nobody else is suffering. But for some reason, there's something about you and you're the only person in the world that suffers on the bike. Like it's ridiculous. And I probably should have asked her before like sharing this like story, but like, you know, it seemed, it seemed like after that point where I kind of like, I was like, yeah, this is hard. It sucks. Like I'm, I'm suffering too. And then all of a sudden it's like, Okay, well, I can get through this. And she she killed it. She totally got through it. And, you know. Uh, and and yeah. kind of along that, that made up story I was telling too, like if you're riding with somebody and you can see that they're suffering too, it instantly gives you this little burst of magical energy from nowhere. It's a total thing in professional road cycling to like use a pain face sometimes when you want people to think that you're weak right before you attack or to like learn how to hide your pain face so people don't know that you're struggling and that now would be a good time to attack you like you know but, you know that you did bring up something super important surprisingly wow and it's incredible <laughs> it's a once in a lifetime occurrence but that that is true this is something we always think that we are the only ones suffering when we're really not and and sometimes i honestly have this this theory that like whoever wins the race probably suffered the most but just the fact that they were in that good of a position kind of masks some of that pain a little bit you know and um but yeah it's a it's, it's a sport where if you're not into suffering you probably need to pick another sport because it, it does hurt it's supposed to so yeah so, or is, so this does tie into warm-ups i got through this I'm like this is a really interesting discussion but i feel like i falsely led people on with that lead-in does this What's, okay. what's your tie-in here? Yes, we are going to start talking about warm-ups here soon. So what, why not now? Okay, warm-ups. Jeez, Dan, <laughs> I really need to plan this. No. Um, Just text me or something like a list of like what we're going to be talking about because like I'm going on a trip with everybody who's listening to this right now, like trying to figure out where you're going. So let's talk about warm-ups. Okay. <laughs> okay, so... All right, and this, this does kind of tie in a little bit to what we're talking about. So in a race, there are three things, and there's, there might be more than three, but I'm thinking of three things that are gonna, that could negatively affect your race other than the fitness that you show up with, okay? Because you kind of show up to a race with the fitness that you have, you know, you, it's something that you've accumulated it's over. unchangeable on the day. It yeah, is what it is. It is what it is, you know, and for better or worse, but there, there's some other things that could greatly affect how good of a day you're going to have. Um, and one of those obviously is, is your, your mental toughness, you know, your mental game, which is super important. It's some people are, are strong here. Other people are weaker. Um, that's the first one. The, the, the second one is, is your glycogen stores. You know, how much, how much glycogen you've stored up is huge. Um, it's something that you need to pay attention to like two, three days before the race. You know, it's just the fuel in your tank. You know, if you, if you show up to race and you're already somewhat depleted, it's going to be a bad race. You know, a lot of times you'll have a bad race and wonder why that could be a reason why, you know. And then the third thing that could really cause you to have a, a disappointing race is 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 your core temperature. You know, once your core temperature gets to a certain point, your body shuts you down. So, 
So those, I, I just want you to kind of keep those three things in mind, okay? Um, so I, th I think I'm, I'm the type that, that's not afraid to change my mind. And I'm also not afraid to admit that in the past, I might not have given the best advice on a, on a certain topic. I'm glad you're willing to admit that, Dan. But, kind of awkward if you weren't, you know. But, it, you know, as, as I've been learning more and more about like warm ups, um, warming up, I've kind of had an epiphany that that maybe some of the advice I've given in the past might not be the most correct. And let me explain why, because I personally um, prefer a longer warm up. You know, like like when I go on a ride, I don't know if you've ridden with me. It usually takes me a couple hours before I start feeling good on the bike. And usually by the time the ride's over, I'm feeling fantastic when most people are. And so I've always kind of liked a longer warm up. It just makes me feel a little better. And I know, you know, I've always known that like that science has kind of recommended shorter warm ups, like, you know, 20, 30 minutes is all you need. And, you know, for me personally, that just didn't, didn't seem like enough. Um, but so, so kind of the epiphany I've had on warmups is a lot of times I've, I've recommended longer warmups because it makes you feel better during the start. And that's how I was always basing whether a warmup was effective or not was how it made me feel during the start of a race. But really, the way to determine whether the warm-up was effective or not is how it made you do overall in the race. And, and the reason that, that a longer warm-up might not necessarily be a good thing, even though it might make you feel better during the start, is if it, A, depletes your glycogen stores. You know, if it negatively affects that, that glycogen you've been working hard for the past three or four days to store up, if you're using a lapse worth of glycogen to do your warm-up, that's not going to help your overall race at all. And then two, if, if it's exposing your body to, to more heat and increase un, unnecessarily increasing your core temperature, even though it might make you feel a little better during your, during your start, that could have a negative impact on your overall race. So, so that's kind of the, uh, that's kind of the epiphany I've had on, on warmups. So if, if I've ever told you to warm up for an hour, hour and a half, I don't think I've ever said an hour and a half. Hopefully I didn't, but, um, you might want to rethink that. I think that 30, 45 minutes on the long end is usually plenty of time. To if you up. or a loved one has ever been told by Dan Draper to do an hour and a half warm up, you might be entitled to financial compensation. <laughs> I don't think I've ever told anyone an hour and a half because I would, but anyhow. But it's uh, personal too, right? Because some people I think you'll find, like, I think Andrew likes a really long warm up and other people like, is that, is it a personal thing or is it? It, it really is. And I, it really is. And, and ultimately what you're going to do is, you know, when you have a good race, Whatever you did during that race, do it again. You know, okay. um, I, I think, and, and like a lot of pro riders that I know, um, they'll usually get a hotel near the race venue, and they always like to slowly ride their bike to the race venue. And that they don't really consider that their warm up. It's 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 almost just like just getting the legs moving a little bit. You know, they I don't think they really would consider that part of their warm up. Like Andrew. Um, he liked really, really long warmups, and I think sometimes it was detrimental, but I think a lot of it for him was it was just, you know, if he was sitting in the tent, he was just kind of freaking out, and if he could go out on his bike and just ride easy, um, it made him feel better and kind of put him in a better mental place. So it might have helped him. I wouldn't recommend it for everybody, but... But he liked long warm-ups. So I, and I'm, I hope this is a segue. Maybe this is too early, but like how hard should a warm-up be? Because that's always something that like some people, you see World Cup races and it seems like they're warming up really, really hard. And then other times the warm-up's just riding around the a road by the you know race venue for a second. Like what? And I, I know it depends, but for like a Nike race, how hard should your warm-up be? And roughly how long should it be? I would say probably not as hard as most people make them and probably shorter than a lot of people make them. Um, 
you know, you really, so I would say that how I would recommend doing in warm-ups, it's going to depend on what type of race you do and how hot it is outside and stuff, you know. Um, but for like a for like a Nike race, typically I would say that your overall warm-up should should be about thirty-five to forty-five minutes, and it should start with a super easy spin that's maybe 15, 20 minutes long, and then I would do. I would just do t like two efforts that are at threshold that are maybe three to five minutes. And then I try to do about four 30 second efforts that are above threshold, like zone five. And that's about it. That's really not a whole lot of work. Um, it, it shouldn't use a whole lot of resources. It shouldn't expose you to a whole lot of heat. You shouldn't finish it tired, I assume. No, and in, in you should finish it feeling better than you started, right? Ideally, yeah, right? yeah. And the thing is, too, is is warm ups can be hard. Like they should, it shouldn't just feel good the whole time, because you're you're really trying to get yourself from a non exercising state to an exercising state. And if you're only trying to do that in in thirty, maybe forty five minutes, um, there will be some discomfort, but it should be nowhere near as hard as like one lap of a race. Okay. And it should finish as close to the start of the race as possible, right? Like logistically you need to try and finish your warm up, go to the start line, not like finish your warm up, hang out at the tent for 20 minutes, go to the start line. Right. Yeah. And I hope, I hope all our Nike writers are listening cause this is kind of a pet peeve of mine. And I've, I've tried to like express this, that yeah, you should, you should go to your warm up ready to race. Like I see so many, so many kids, they go and they do their warm up, and then they go back to the tent and they eat some food and they change their clothes and they fix their hair or they do, I don't know what they do, but they always have to go back to the tent and then they go over to staging. And usually that involves like a lot of walking and, you know, cause you can't ride your bike through the pit zone for some reason. And, um, you know, so it's almost like their warm up was more like openers not really a warm up because they've pretty much unwarmed up by then. Because if you watch a World Cup mountain bike or cyclocross race, you will notice that people are warming up right next to the start line and minimizing. There's maybe a two or three minute window between them getting off the rollers and them starting the race. Like, I don't know. And you next time you watch a World Cup, like pay attention. Like the start line is just like littered with rollers all over the place because you don't want to go, you know, hang out for 20 minutes at staging or whatever, because then your warm up was almost pointless, right? I mean, it's still, it's still better than nothing, you know, but yeah, like they, there was a study that, that showed that basically there's like almost like a 10 minute window that's ideal from when you end your warm up to when you start your race. And, and so really like Nike riders, you should go do your warm up ready to go to staging because you're, you're going to want to go to just be finishing your warm up right as it's time to start staging. You should have all your, your, your food the plate should be on your bike. You should know your bike's ready to go. You should be, yeah, you should have your kit. hydration. You should have, yeah, you should be, you should be ready to go. Question rollers versus riding a road or something. Do you have a preference? Cause I know if it's hot, you probably want to stay in the shade for your warm up and not get your core temperature up too high. Logistically for most Nike races, I don't think it's practical to have, a hundred sets of rollers in a tent. Like what, what do we, what would we recommend for, for like how to do it? Well, I think rollers are ideal, especially, um, you know, especially for hotter races because, um, one of the worst things you can do is if it's like, if it's like 95 degrees in price to go cook yourself in the sun an hour before the race. And, you know, at that point, your warm-up's really going to be counterproductive then if it's that hot outside. Like, honestly, if it's that hot, hot outside, I mean, you need very little warm-up. But if you have the luxury of being able to do it on rollers in the shade, that's ideal. If you're a Nike coach listening, this, this sounds kind of bad. Like, it's probably not practical to provide that kind of accommodation for every single one of your riders. But if you've got a girl who you think is going to win varsity 
have a section of the tent set aside and an ice vest and shade and rollers and stuff like this is you know like if you watch the world cup pros do it you know they're wearing an ice vest in a tent you know is protected from the elements as they can be like probably not something we can provide to every single rider but you know if you've if you've got your prized racehorse who's going to win states like try to get this for them yeah yeah because then there's not as huge of a drawback to warming up you know um so yeah the roller is preferable especially if it's hot um if it's colder outside you know doing it on a road's just fine one problem with most of the rollers is you can't really get a whole lot of intensity but that's actually something i'm kind of changing my opinion on a little bit i think um you know as you're warming up on the rollers you can you can increase your um your cadence which is kind of like it's it's stimulating but it's not as depleting as doing like an actual hard effort on on like a road or something you know so you can like you know you can get your heart rate up and 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 get things firing just by increasing your cadence but the resistance isn't increasing as much so um so it might not be or you know you might prevent yourself from overly depleting yourself as you would if you were like out there trying to do it on like a a hill or something so I, we should explain if you're not familiar with rollers they're, they're it's basically like a frame that has three little drums in it two drums in the back and one up front and it's basically they look really weird well to most use. of them they lock their front or well that's true yeah. actually most of them not. no that's not those are portable true. yeah those okay. are more portable more so more portable well, that's more, kind of ones you see at races anyway right yeah nobody ever really rings at like three drum rollers to race really yeah not very much is that like a new thing? Because that was like when I was in Nike, when people brought rollers, they were like the three drum rollers. Yeah, most of them just use like the feedback sport where they lock in their front wheel. Well, back in my day. Yeah. No, but either way, like I think if you're a Nike coach listening to this and you're looking for like what do we spend team fees on equipment wise for next year, I think you can make a great argument that having two or three sets of rollers that are, you know, either the three drum kind, those are hard to learn how to ride. And then an extra tent or something, some tent space that can 100%. be reserved. For I, I don't know how that works with Nike, how much tent space you get, but like if you have have like a dedicated warm-up section and maybe and you know like maybe offer that to riders like hey you know like if you're in a leader's jersey if you're in the top 10 in some kind of race like this is something that like we want to provide for you you know again you probably can't do it for every single rider um but yeah i think and what what's the set of those feedback rollers set you back these days like, like 300 bucks 300 bucks or so yeah you know useful training tool at home for some applications as well but yeah um definitely something to consider if you're coaching or doing you know team infrastructure stuff you know, another thing, too, where, where the heat is such a critical part of it, too, you know, um, um, you know, after you've warmed up and once you get over to your staging, a lot of times like Nike riders, they end up staging them for a long, long time. Um, you know, I don't I don't know that you could really I mean, you could actually have an ice vest there. I've never really seen anyone do that. I mean, I know World Cup pros do it. Good idea. Something definitely to consider. But I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to have like a slushy that you bring that someone hands you at staging. Um, you know, the the ice is really effective. The, the energy that it takes to convert the ice into water is really, really effective at di- displacing heat. I think that would be a fantastic thing to preserve your core temperature while you're while you're staging. Another thing, too, is, you know, if you just have extra extra water at staging, you know, you can you can. You can keep your kit soaked, you know, keep dripping water onto your kit. That's going to help um, a little bit, help keep your core temperature down. But hydrating ultimately is is the best way to maintain core temperature. I'm, I'm looking here for your coaches. Like you can get a decent iced vest for like 50 bucks and they can be used all day long for different riders. Like I think that would be worthwhile to spend a few bucks on that. And then the feedback rollers, I think, um, looks like those run... Yeah, like three to four, up to 500 bucks, depending on what you want to get. But yeah, like, I think like investing in like the right stuff to get warmups for your riders, that's huge. And then just making sure they know like, and you like, another thing you see all the time is like, oh, my buddy's racing an hour before I am. So I'm going to go stand out on the course in the hot sun for an hour and cheer him on. Like, that's probably not a good idea either, right? Like that's, that's not going to help you in your race. Yeah, I think I was, it was actually so cool. I was at Vernal yesterday and I was walking past three of my riders and all three of them were sitting down on the ground watching the race from the I'm like, yes, they're, they're staying off their feet. Staying off your feet is 
it's amazing how hard it is on your body to just be standing on your feet. Um, you know, so, you know, when you're at the race, just try to use a chair as much as you can. If you're going to watch your friend's race, carry on a camp chair, um, you know, just so you can, you can staff your feet a little bit more. Um, and too, like I, I'd also throw out, you know, for these races, like, um, maybe consider, and it's not always possible, maybe don't show up eight hours before your race. Like, I know it's like if you have a family or one kid starts at 8 a.m. and one kid starts at 4 p.m. or whatever, like it might not be possible. But when you can, maybe stay in the hotel room as long as you can, out of the sun, drinking water, staying hydrated, eating food, show up to the race in time to do a warm up and stuff. If you can, you know, like I think if you really, if you want to win varsity next year, like you probably can't be spending all day at the race course before. You know, I don't know what time varsity goes off these days, but that's something else that we, you know, yeah, another detriment that we see commonly, you know. As someone who both who both races and watches a lot of races, I'm here to say it's almost more exhausting for me to watch a race than it is to actually race. Like my body after a long day of watching races feels like crap, you know. And and after after I actually race myself, I kind of feel good and invigorated. You know, so I don't think that's representative of everybody, but like the point stands, you know, that like if, if, if you're, if performance is the goal, hanging out at a race is not a good way to increase that. So, yeah, you know, so not carry on a possible, camp chair, but carry yeah. on your water bottle, make, yeah. Um, yeah. So just kind of review on, on, on how to warm up. We're, we're going to talk about why in a second, but, um, but again, you know, have a start with about a 15, 20 minute easy spin just to kind of get things going help you start getting ready to exercise and then do a couple I would say two efforts that are about three minutes that are above threshold and you can or no that are about threshold thresholds about just before your legs start to burn you know so you're going kind of hard it's going to feel fast but your legs aren't quite burning yet and then I would do about, and I would only do them for about three minutes long and just two of them, you know, which really shouldn't be that hard. And then after that, I would do about four 30 second efforts that are a little above threshold, not all out sprints. I don't think you need to do all out sprints at all. Um, your, your best power performances should not be during your warm up. So do about four 30 second efforts, about as hard as you do a 30 by 30, just kind of a, a fast race pace like you're trying to catch someone's wheel do about four of those you should feel good after it you shouldn't feel tired you should and usually a, a good general rule is you should always end when you feel like you want to do more um, it's always better to kind of shut it down early and then by then you should be able to roll right to right to the start ready to to stage and um, if it's cold so if it's a cold day, you're probably going to want a longer warm up. If it's a hot day, you're going to want a shorter warm up. If um, races that have that are that are hot, like short and intense, like a cross race or an XC mountain bike race, are going to need longer warm ups. Like if you're ever doing like a six hour road race, you probably don't need to warm up at all, really. But I would say out of all the races that need a long warm-up cross-country racing is probably the one that's going to need the longest warm-up just because our race starts are insane and it's they're absolutely critical that you do well on those so you get good positioning so um so you cross-country racers definitely need to warm up if it's cold outside you know we were talking about staging too you know um if it's cold outside, you definitely want to keep your legs covered while you're warming up. And I would keep the legs on while you're, while you're staging. If it's cold, if it's below 50 degrees. So. Which doesn't happen a, a ton. I mean, I, most of our audience is in Utah, you know, and like for the most part, our races are happening in the heat, but um, don't be afraid to like, you know, chuck some, have somebody ready to take stuff at the start line, you know, keep your core temperature where it should be. Ideally. I would also say like, there are very few races that you're going to do in Utah where you'll want to race in arms and legs. I've seen that mistake made as well. Um, just while we're on that, like, you know, um, we probably would encourage you to wear a jacket or something to stay warm, but like, you know, 
usually you'll want to lose like you'd be shocked at how little you need to be wearing yeah you'll want to lose it right before you start but if it's cold if it's below 60 50 degrees you'd you'd want to at least have it on while you're while you're staging so i was originally going to talk about like why we warm up first and then talk about how but we kind of talked more about how and now we're going to talk a little bit about why i asked you if you wanted me to go over your notes and stuff to like keep it in the order you wanted and you said no so don't whine about it now. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know if like how organic and rustic this show is, is like a selling point for people or if it's like a downside. So Joe, why do you think we warm up? That's a really interesting question. Other than like what I can tell you anecdotally from experience, like it makes me feel better. I don't know if I could tell you because it almost sounds counterintuitive that you do extra work to make the work later and like more effective. I mean, it makes sense to me that like your muscles need to be somewhat stimulated before you do. But as somebody who would defend warmups and tell people to do them, I don't really know that I could explain why. (laughs) Yeah. And have you ever gone to a race, like showed up to a race late and had to run right up to the start line and race without warming up? I I have actually had to do that before. I've I've had to do it too. Cause a lot of the eye cups I go to, like I'm setting up the tents and stuff and then, I'll just go off and race. And I've done a couple where I didn't even warm up at all. And like, how did it go for you? Not, not great. Like the one I have in mind was like a cross race that I did with Jacob and we showed up and literally rolled from the car to the start line and they said, go, you know, it's not, and it's like mentally it's hard too. like physiological, you know, ups or downs aside, like it's kind of nice to have that warm up to sort of, I mean, I know get into the zone is such a cliche, but like, you know, it's kind of a thing. Yeah, it it feels terrible to try to race without warming up. And so and I don't think anyone out there is against warming up. So I don't think we really have to sell that too much. We're taking a bold stance on warming up. (laughs) Yeah. Maybert is pro warm up. Should we make a shirt? (laughs) But the reason we do it, um, you know, so so one reason we do is to to raise our internal temperature especially the temperature of our muscles. And if, if our muscles don't reach a certain temperature before we start to exercise strenuously, um, it can actually cause a lot of damage. And, and also, we are very incapable of good performances while our muscles are too cool until they've reached a certain temperature we're very limited in what we can do. You know, so if your muscles aren't a certain temperature and you go to do a race start, you're just not going to be able to hit the power that you need to be able to hit. And you're actually going to do some damage. Um, another huge thing that it does is it, it, it dilates our blood vessels. Um, it gets our, our blood vessels and our capillaries ready to deliver oxygen. It actually increases the temperature of our blood and of our hemoglobin. And when that protein, when that protein gets heated up, it's actually several times more efficient at delivering oxygen than when it's cold. Um, so there's, um, it, it improves our, our metabolic efficiency. We're able to create energy better once we're warmed up. Um, but, and, and then there's also just a huge mental component too. You know, I think, um, you know, it's like, I'll be nervous about a race, but if I'm warming up, I'm not nervous anymore. I feel fine. You know, it's like once you're actually on your bike spinning around, it's like when you go to do a race, like you're nervous when you're lining up, but once the race starts, you're not nervous anymore, you know? And I think just being able to, to ride your bike can, can be a good time to just get you in a, a good mental state. Um, but, but ultimately it, it really just helps us kind of bridge that gap from an unexercising state to and exercising in a very high level state. And, um, cause the reality is if you don't do a warm up, your body will do the warm up during the race, basically, right? Like your body will have to be going through the process of opening capillaries and stuff like that. But it, it can do damage in any, in, in like soft tissue connections and so forth. It, it'll do damage in that process though, which is going to make it so recovery from that particular race is going to be delayed. Hmm. Whereas if you have a proper, you know, a, a, a proper warm up and a proper cool down after a race that that's just going to help enhance. So you're not just pace. sabotaging yourself on the day, especially like Nike, where you kind of have a tight season where we've always talked about it's so hard to make sure you're recovering getting the training in right. You could be sabotaging your next race by not warming up for this race is what you're telling me. It, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It can, it can do a little bit of damage. So, 
um, it's something that you need to do right. It's something you don't want to shortcut. You don't want to do too little. Um, doing too much can be can be costly in terms of you know, like we said earlier, kind of using excessive glycogen stores and, and maybe raising your your core temperature too much too early too soon. Um, I mean, it really like I said, it really shouldn't be like doing another lap of a race. Um, but if you shortcut it too much, you you know you're going to not only have a bad race but do some damage that might cost a little bit of time. You know, one thing that I don't really know the answer to, and this is this is just kind of personal for me, is whether it's okay to eat or not during a warm up. You know, a lot like during our fueling podcast, we we recommended that you know for most people you really don't want to eat. You know, you want to eat your main meal two hours before and then, um, you know, because that'll spike your insulin, then it'll come back down. And then you want to eat as you're lining up. You'll want to take a sis or two. And um, I personally do eat during my warm up. It doesn't affect my I feel fine. I don't I don't um, you know, I don't I don't feel a, a sugar crash or anything if, if I eat during my warm up. Um, that's something you could, you know, experiment and see what works personally well for you. I mean, normally that's not recommended, but to me, it's always like, I think it might help preserve my glycogen stores a little bit, but I don't really know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Is the essential guidance here, like if you can, you probably should, but not everybody's going to be able to. Yeah. Cause some people are more, more sensitive to that. And I'm, I'm personally not like I could probably eat right before a race and just be fine. But I know we had one girl that was like, she was starting her races and literally getting into crashes because she was getting so dizzy because of, um, like an inability to eat before the race essentially. Right. No. Um, just because of the blood sugar crash, like that would happen oh. right as she was starting to race. It was, oh, interesting. she was getting so dizzy that she would literally crash like her bike. So, huh. um, yeah, that's not ideal. I yeah, guess. <laughs> not, so, so yeah, so that's something you want, might want to experiment with. So yeah, so I, I've kind of been rambling, but kind of <laughs> just kidding. Carry on. Yeah. So, so yeah, so the takeaways is yes. Um, warmups are important. Uh, do them well, don't, but don't overdo it. So you're, you're taking away some of the resources that you're going to use later during the race. And like we said before, you know, if, if, if you have a really good race, pay attention to what you did and kind of use that as like a, a starting point for what you're, what you do on subsequent races. And, and that's probably pretty solid advice for anything that we talk about. You know, like you're in the early stages of your, your development as a bicycle racer right now, you know, like pay attention, be observant, see what works, what doesn't work. I would even, I've even heard of people like making a list of like, I did X, Y, and Z before this race and the outcome was this, you know, like that's maybe a little OCD over the top, but no, there, I think you should do that in your training peaks, you know, yeah. just like for on that event, you should just kind of write what you had for breakfast, what you did for a warm up, and yeah. And if it worked, do it again. If it didn't tweak it. There you go. Let's end on tweak it. That'd be another t-shirt. Uh, as always, if, uh, if there are any questions about this, let us know. Um, if, if I think it would be interesting actually for us to kind of talk to the coaching side of a little bit more. So if that's something that people would be interested in, in hearing about, um, you know where to reach us, but other than that, ride safe, have a good week and, uh, get ready for States. <laughs>